Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathram, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, we share messages of leadership development, mindset, personal growth, human performance, fear, ego, how to deal with those human attributes, those things that affect us on a daily basis. We go find those messages from executive leaders, C-suite leaders, high performers. We bring you those messages so that we can all learn together. These are actual real human beings that you can connect with and make a mentor out of. So we're excited to have you on board. Please remember to subscribe wherever you happen to be listening so you don't miss any of these great messages. Come find me on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're also now on YouTube. Our motto is to continue getting 1% better one day at a time. We're onboarding sponsors. We're leveling up our production quality. We're building out that YouTube page, and we're excited to have you on board. Please remember to come find us, subscribe, make sure you hit the notifications. Don't miss out on any of the messages. Things are changing, and we want you on board. Today's episode features Dr. Marina Theodotu, whose message to us was simple. The way that we start does not determine how we finish. She reminds us in this episode that we don't control the cards we're dealt, but we do have control over how we play them. And it's our responsibility to take care of ourselves and become the person that's required to do the things we want to do. She's had some early challenges in her life growing up in Northern Africa, being forced out of Cyprus with her family. She also makes sure that she says specifically that while they may have lost everything material, they didn't lose everything. They had each other. And that experience forged resilience and what she calls gumption within her. That gumption that she formed at a young age later helped her make a mentor out of the former CEO of Bank of America, Hugh McCall. It also allowed her to make a mid-career shift and pursue a PhD and do something entirely different from the way that she spent the first half of her career. So anyone listening that's looking to make a career shift or even thinking about it, this is the episode for you. I'm so grateful that she was able to share openly and honestly with us about her actual experience. She's even responsible for founding two separate TEDx conferences, one in Cyprus, and the accomplishment of doing that was one of the last things she was able to share with her father, and one here in Northern Virginia with Defense Acquisition University. So just a fantastic episode coming up. I'm really grateful she allowed me to share her message. We really get into some juicy stuff right about halfway through. So so really excited to share this one with you. And before we begin, just a couple quick words from our sponsors, the people that make this podcast possible. Today's episode is sponsored by PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. For more than 85 years, PenFed Credit Union has offered great rates on loans, checking, and savings, serving our military and local communities. PenFed is open to everyone. Helping their members save is how they grow. Go to PenFed.org to see how you can save more with their best-in-class rates, products, and services. PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. 
This episode is sponsored by Leashes of Valor. One leash saves two lives. Leashes of Valor is working hard to bring service dogs and post 9-11 veterans together in order to enrich both lives. They're a nonprofit founded by veterans right here in Northern Virginia. Check out their website, leashesofvalor.org. There you'll find warrior stories, opportunities to donate. You can shop their merchandise, which all goes to supporting their cause. We're excited to have their support and to support them in everything that they do. Check out leashesofvalor.org. Yeah, well, Dr. Marina Theodotu, thank you so much for joining us here on the DC Local Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much, Philip. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to do this. I know it was uh, tough to find some time. You've been traveling, doing some speaking, so it's great to have you here, and I appreciate it. Can't wait to learn from all of your experience and all the things that you've been doing. So you're at Defense Acquisition University, and you're also a PhD, but you know, I happen to have some background about you, and I'd love to get into that of how you even found yourself being there in the first place, because you had a you had a career track that was very different from what you're doing now. That's right. That's right. I'm one of those servers. My career started in banking financial services. I was there for 10 years, and then I moved to management consulting. And uh, now I'm in learning and development. And now, of course, at the Defense Acquisition University, which is a fantastic place to work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I'm always interested when I speak to people of how they got to where they are, right? Because you're not alone in the idea that you started in one place and then your own personal experiences led you to find a passion to do something else where you get to apply maybe some of the things you've learned before, but maybe it's just on a track that you belong on more. Um, so I can't wait to you know hear more about that. Where, where did you grow up? So my heritage is from Cyprus. I'm a proud U.S. citizen, and, but I was born in Cyprus. So you grew up in Cyprus. So I was born in Cyprus, but uh, actually I didn't grow up there. I grew up in Northern Africa, and in particular in Libya, okay. because my family became refugees in 1974, and uh, we found ourselves, of all countries, in, in that place. My father was on a business development trip across North Africa, so Egypt, Libya, Tunisia. So when the war broke out, he could not come back. So my parents decided to reunite the family for a short time frame and then figure out what to do next. Yeah. And uh, that became uh, almost like a permanent uh, solution. It, wasn't e- it was not an easy childhood. Uh, that's a very, very difficult country, and I have some horror stories, which I'm not going to uh, bother your audience here with. But uh, let me just say this, that... Uh, Growing up in that country strengthened my family's and my love for America. And uh, my parents worked really hard to send both or all of my sisters. I have three, two sisters were three to send all of us to America to study. How old were you when, when this was going on, when you were moving around North Africa? So uh, I was uh, three years old. Oh, yeah. wow. And how old are you? Like your siblings, are you the youngest or yes, in the middle? Yes, I'm the youngest. So I have my oldest sister uh, who is, uh, she, at that time she was 10 mm-hmm. and my middle sister was seven. Yeah. And so I credit their path as uh, path carvers for what I followed. I followed their lead. They came to America to go to school at the University of South Carolina. And Both so, yes, and then I followed. And my parents were with, were so smart in the sense that they made sure that we overlapped for one year. Each one of us overlapped with the previous sister. 
So we each helped each other out uh, at university and getting acclimated and yeah. uh, set. But did you spend your formative years, like uh, your early teens in, in North Africa? And is I that did. where you went to high school? Yeah. And so stuff? I came to America when I, was, when I was 16. Okay. And I went to South Carolina, University of South Carolina, and this English program for internationals. It was, it's a prep program for foreign students that want to go to university. And it was an amazing experience because I was a rising senior in high school. So my parents sent me here to get prepped for college. And I spent a summer here and it was really life-changing for me. And uh, I was very pleased because when I finished, I, I applied for college and I had my college um, admittance letter before uh, starting my senior year in high school. So I was uh, ready to come back and I came back and stayed. So you went back home, but you had finish, a college. At right, I had to go home and finish high school. Uh, high school. So this I, was over the summer. Yeah. So I already had my admittance letter to University of South Carolina. Did you speak any English when you? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I credit my parents to that as well. I started learning English when I was five, and uh, my father was very well educated. So he studied in Scotland with a scholarship. Uh, in poultry husbandry so we always looked up to him with regards to the love for education and both my parents were always encouraging us to learn and books were something that uh, we always had around the house we didn't have much but we had a lot of books so always learned and that instilled in me the love for lifelong learning what was your favorite book that you were reading growing up that maybe your dad gave you or you had around yeah, so my dad uh, gave me the Shakespeare, all the Shakespeare's works in a little uh, 1940s edition. So the pages are very thin, but you have, it's a little book, but it has all of Shakespeare's works. And so it was part of his collection, so he gave it to me uh, before he passed away a decade ago, and um, we miss him dearly, but... Um, that's a, a, a book I cherish. You still read it now? I do. And he had inscripted, years later, he gave me, he wrote uh, a dedication for me. Yeah. You know, I love hearing those stories. It's, it's the way we're brought up and our childhood has so much of an impact on who we become as a person and the way we perceive the world and just how we interact with other people. So I love hearing the story of how people that find themselves in a leadership position you know, from the outside looking in, sometimes it can look like everything was perfect for that person and that's why they've got a perfect position and they're doing perfect things. But that always, that isn't usually the case. And that's why I'm chuckling. No, it's not, uh, it's not the case because we rise uh, into becoming leaders by learning. And uh, I believe that our challenges make us more resilient and make us also more focused on improving ourselves first because leadership is about understanding yourself and knowing yourself first and then understanding what the team needs and helping them grow and rise and together taking care of the mission. So you're absolutely right. Our childhood forges us. Yeah. I mean, you use the word resilience uh, or resiliency and, and, and I think that comes up a lot when we're talking about leadership, doing hard things, overcoming challenges. 
what do you like? What's one of those things, or what's a memory from your childhood that you think really solidified a perception in your mind that you still carry with you today? Yeah, I think I think that whole experience of uh, you know losing everything and uh, all the material things that is, and and losing the sense of of, of country and not having that that creates uh, refugees have a void in them that they cannot easily explain or understand themselves or fill. And uh, it takes a very special place, a very special country like America, to allow you to actually fill that void. And um, because of all the opportunities and because of, of, of what America stands for. So for me, that whole experience was uh, self-actualizing in a way, and uh, it created the path that I wanted to to be on. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, my career started in banking and financial services, and then I went to nonprofits, and then I went to academia, and uh, now I'm in learning development within the Department of Defense. Yeah, I mean, I want to ask, so you said your dad was a scholar, your sisters. Are you the only PhD in your family, or is everyone a PhD? Uh, in my immediate family, yes. You're the only one? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great place for us to Well, your PhD is actually in something very different from anything you've been doing before, right? Yeah, it's a doctorate in education, so a little bit different than, a, than the traditional PhD. It's a, an applied doctorate, and uh, I was really very uh, excited to see that uh, the University of Southern California offered that degree because when I looked back, I traveled a lot throughout my career. I spent uh, uh, about uh, a decade in the Middle East and um, when I came back to America, I realized that I was no longer a banker. I was uh, doing other things. I had done so many other different things, project management and and leading a nonprofit uh, office providing financial sector technical assistance in Jordan, funded by the Middle East Partnership Initiative, which at the time was uh, part of uh, USAID and State Department. And uh, so when I came back to the United States, I realized that I had to really make sense of all of my career because when we move from role to role, it's not always difficult for employers to understand our career path. So it's our responsibility to connect the dots for ourselves, but also for our future employers. So when I looked at my career, and I, I, I pulled two threads. One was change. Change is the only constant. And the other was uh, leadership, meaning wanting to serve and continuously improving myself so I could, at some point, serve as a leader. And uh, the University of Southern California offered a doctorate in education, which that brings my love of learning. So here we have all these three things that I love together. And I thought, wow, I want to go to that program. So I applied and uh, I got in. I was um, very excited to do that. And uh, it was fantastic for me. I really enjoyed it. I worked full time and I went to school full time, but um, I was able to complete the program uh, about six months earlier. That's how excited I was. And uh, actually, 
that program brought me to DAU. How'd that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So the program requires that you do your dissertation on an organization. So you have to find an organization and study them and do your research on their practices. And I knew I wanted to find an award-winning organization that um, was an exemplar in the learning and development space. And uh, I talked to a couple of organizations, but they said, no, we don't want you to be meddling in our uh, internal uh, organizational structures. We're not going to do the, we don't want you doing your research on our organization. So I thought, okay, so here I am, 2016, uh, summer of 2016, it was 4th of July weekend, and I was reading the Chief Learning Officer magazine, which is a magazine of learning and development industry, and uh, that edition, in June, they have their awards. So I was reading that edition with the awards. So I, I had an idea. I thought, okay, I'm looking for an award-winning company. I will look at the three top winners of the Chief Learning Officer Magazine Awards, and I will reach out to them. And whoever responds positively first, I will go with them. And I did. And um, lucky for me, President... Uh, Jim Woolsey of DAU responded 4th of July weekend in 2016. This is over LinkedIn. And he said, yeah, absolutely. would love for you to do your dissertation on DAU. And I was thrilled and delighted and started working with uh, Dr. Chris Hardy, who is uh, a great mentor and um, has a great institutional knowledge about DAU's growth and uh, successes and award-winning journey and uh, the more I studied TAU the more I realized that I would love to work for the for their university and so I applied I applied three times and I got in the third time and here we are this is my fifth year with TAU so I'm, I'm, I'm honored and, and super excited to be working there. Yeah, for anyone who's not in the space, right, who doesn't understand um, government contracting or defense or intelligence and may not know what DAU is, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is and what happens there? Yeah, DAU is very unique. It's a DOD university, and uh, its responsibility is to train the 186,000 members of the acquisition workforce. So acquisition is the process of designing, developing, delivering, maintaining everything the warfighter needs from uniforms to aircraft carriers. So it's a very complex process. And uh, DAU was created by law to actually provide this training. And today we're doing some amazing things in transforming the way we deliver learning to our 186,000 members of the workforce. We are really focusing on the... on on their experience, and actually I work for the User Experience Directorate, and uh, it's pretty exciting because we're really pushing the boundaries of what that means and what do our learners need, what do our acquisition professionals need to do their job better and faster so that they can provide what the warfighter needs better and faster. And so our DAU our mission at DAU is directly related to uh, our 
national security. And uh, there's a lot that we are doing today transforming learning. So, for example, we are focusing a lot on web events. So I'm actually part of a team that leads the transformation of how we deliver short web-delivered uh, either conversations, moderated discussions, where participants can uh, log in and hear a discussion among thought leaders within the DOD, academia, and industry that we moderate. Actually, I've been curating and uh, leading a work, webcast series called Think Differently. And with that, we followed this exact model. We've reached over 5,000 members of the workforce that keep coming back. And so we know that this is one of the ways people want to learn. The acquisition workforce wants to learn. They, they can no longer spend copious amounts of time in class. And with COVID and the pandemic, all of the learning and education space has been transformed and learning has been transformed along with everything else that, that we've been doing, the way we, we work and live and learn. So it has served as an accelerant, uh, the pandemic has, and uh, that has pushed us to think about new ways of how we deliver learning and how do we deliver value to our uh, workforce so that they can be better. Yeah. Now you also, you started a TEDx That's right. before too. Yes. So I've uh, been very much involved with TEDx uh, for a little over 10 years now. So I started TEDx again. My, my, because I always want to learn more and I'm always looking for inspiration. So at that time I was living in Cyprus and I was not feeling inspired at all. It's a very small place, uh, very tight, nepotistic, etc. So I was really looking to find uh, new inspiration. So I thought, well, I can go to TED Global and uh, attend the TED event. So I actually signed up and then I realized, wow, I'm going to, at that time, the, the ticket for TED Global was $6,000. So I said, wow, that's, that's a lot of money to spend for an event. And what will I get out of it if I come back and I'll be talking about the event, but nobody probably will understand or be able to relate. So then I looked and I realized that TED actually offers licenses to individuals or teams that want to create a TED-like event in their community. And so I applied. This was um, on the eve of uh, my 40th birthday and uh, I got accepted. I got a license. The license is free, but you have to follow the TED uh, branding. And as a TED li TEDx license holder, you have the responsibility of maintaining key rules that TED sets around branding, but also you have the latitude to create and curate an event that best reflects the needs of that community. So it was an amazing experience, and um, I put another test on myself, and I said, okay, if I can... If I can be inspired by, if I can find 12 people that can inspire me, maybe they can inspire this little island. And so I reached out to, to people that I had worked with and had come across, and I thought that they were really uh, doing some extraordinary things. 
and uh, they accepted. So we brought them in and trained them. And so we delivered at the TEDx uh, Nicosia. That was the first TEDx event for the country. And uh, it actually helped serve as a platform for entrepreneurs and startups. And it spawned this new perspective on on uh, really thinking differently and uh, connecting with others to create solutions to all problems. So it really helped spawn the startup. Like the startup arena or environment. Yeah, the startup arena environment in in that country. And so I I remained connected and a year later I got a a scholarship by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to attend TED Global. And so I went to TED and... uh, I remember my father drove me to the airport. This was uh, in June 2012. And we had the most amazing conversation uh, on the way. And that stayed with me because, unfortunately, I lost my father that weekend that I was in Edinburgh. And Edinburgh was the place where he studied. So there, there were all these connections. So there is always a personal component that Ted brings to me, like very, very personal and so, because my last conversation with my father was about Ted, and um, what he said, he said that he was really proud of me that I was going back to where he started his uh, journey and his education, and uh, that uh, he was really impressed that I was selected out of about three hundred TEDx organizers. They selected fifteen to win to be granted that scholarship to go. And I was one of those 15. So that's what I remember. And uh, he also shared with me when uh, he was a student and he had won an academic award. Actually, he studied in Scotland and Scotland and England are always uh, competing with each other. So there is what is called the Kitson Prize. And my father won that that year because of his academic excellence. And so he was able to win it back from England to Scotland. And so he uh, shared with me the story when uh, he heard from the headmaster or the provost, rather, of the university who came and found him and told him, hey, Andreas, you won the award. Uh, That was like a couple of um, days before the ceremony because my father had to return back to Cyprus and he was going to miss the ceremony. So they wanted to let him know that. He had won. So very, very special moments. And then fast forward to DAU, which was always thinking ahead. So uh, our president and vice president asked me to actually lead at TEDxDAU and create uh, that similar new environment for both the university internally, the way we work together to create an amazing experience for our users, but also think about how TEDxDAU could um, transform the way the workforce thinks of, of DAU. When you were working in banking, did you see, I mean, were you thinking about any of these things or did you even have any possibility to maybe accomplish any of the things you've done had you stayed in that industry? You know, my what time... What were you doing, yeah. actually? Like, so I started as a teller believe it or not, in banking. And then I worked in operations in um, letters of credit. So I had a background in economics and I was always very interested in understanding banking. And economics served, served me really well in everything that I've done. Uh, 
over my almost 30 year career. But uh, at that time, I, what I knew is that I always wanted to address change and I always wanted to learn more and serve more. So I wanted to increase my responsibility and my authority. But if you had asked me in 1997 whether I would uh, be doing these amazing things at the Department of Defense, I probably would uh, would say that I would be that I would be surprised if that would have happened. Yeah, when you say address change, like what, what what did you mean by that? What did that mean to you then? So at that time, uh, I was there for about ten years and. Uh, the banking sector was completely changing. And uh, I had the honor to actually be mentored by the then CEO of Bank of America, Mr. Hugh McCall. And he was actually the visionary that actually transformed banking the way we know it because before his vision, banks were organized separately across states. So you, you did not have a bank that actually was functioning really across all 50, the 50 United States. So his vision was actually to create a bank that could uh, serve customers from coast to coast. So you had this very specific customer focus. And I was actually, my last role there was uh, Six Sigma Black Belt and vice president in uh, strategic benchmarking. So we really focused on the customer experience all the way back then and customer satisfaction, it was called at that time. And uh, we benchmarked with organizations like Disney and Starbucks. For a bank to do that in the early 2000s, it was unheard of. So I credit those early years in banking for giving me a very uh, robust understanding uh, of um, the customer experience and the customer need, but also helping me build an astute business acumen because you have to have business acumen in anything you do. So, Yeah, and so what, but I, I guess I'm trying to pull the thread of how you went from there to, you know, making the decision to go and enter this program for your PhD. Like yeah, what, I can pull the thread for you. What's going on in your life Absolutely. at that point? Yeah, so Bank of America, because I was uh, mentored by Mr. McCall, I got this opportunity to actually be loaned out from Bank of America to a nonprofit based in New York City that actually provided financial sector technical assistance to emerging markets. So this nonprofit is called Financial Services Volunteer Corps. It was created uh, at the uh, request of President Bush uh, Sr. right at the fall of the Berlin Wall. And two statesmen, uh, the Honorable uh, Cyrus Vance and uh, the Honorable um, John Whitehead created this nonprofit that actually brought volunteers. It was a little bit like Doctors Without Borders, but Bankers Without Borders. So volunteers and experts in, in the banking and uh, f- the financial sector that could go to these countries and help these countries, um, including Russia, actually, and Poland, and Czech Republic, and Romania, and uh, the Republic of Georgia, to, to actually understand and help them build their market economies. How did you go from being a teller to being mentored by the CEO of Bank of America? Reading and learning. 
So I, I mean, physically, yes. did you call him and ask him or did you go to a meeting? Did so you... actually, uh, funny that you mentioned that I, uh, I was actually following, uh, his talks. He would, he would speak occasionally around the, the bank in different locations. So his talks would be posted on the internet, on the Bank of America internet. So I would always, uh, follow and read his talks because I wanted to understand what kinds of concerns or what kinds of things does the CEO worry about? And uh, there was actually an event that took place, uh, a new development. Bank of America was very much involved in, in helping develop the communities where Bank of America had branches. So at that time, there was a very big initiative to redevelop downtown or uptown, rather, Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Bank of America headquarters, headquarters are. Yeah. So there was a billing opening, actually. It was an event, and the CEO would be speaking. So actually, it was after work. So I stopped there with my colleagues, and uh, there was the CEO. He had just finished his speech. So I told my colleagues, let's go meet the CEO. And they're like, no, we're not going. And then, and then I said, well, I will. So I went over there, and I introduced myself. And I was, I was very nervous. I was a very young um, internal auditor. But I actually... Um, thanked him for his speech. He had given a speech uh, about how technology was changing and how computers were used to be these big room-sized elevators, and now they were actually becoming smaller. So he, he was a true visionary, and he was actually a U.S. Marine, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I like that story just because it does take a little bit of vulnerability and working in the opposite of fear to get out of that idea that like, there's some reason why I can't just go engage this other human being. Right. So your friends, they had that initial pullback that a lot of people have. A lot of us do like a lot. That's just a human, human trait, right? There's this idea of otherizing and that because this person is in a position that they're in. And I view that as being either um, in some way more valuable, right? That's higher than me. They're the CEO. I'm just down here. He doesn't want to talk to me or like, there's some reason why I can't. What was it about, what was going through your mind to work through that? Or had you been reading and doing work on that? And I really want to ask you what, like, do you think your childhood and being brought up the way that you were and having the experiences you had supplied you with a little bit more of a gumption? Yeah. Or a willingness, a willpower gumption. That's a great word of I'm just going to go see what happens because what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. But actually, I was, I was inspired. I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm always driven by inspiration. And I want to be around people that are doing amazing things and they're, they are inspiring us with their character and their leadership. So I was inspired. I had been following his, his work and his talks. So I knew that I was inspired by mm -hmm. his leadership. So I thought, well... I'll, I'll go over there and introduce myself and thank him. So what I wanted to do is simply to thank the, the CEO for his leadership and for, for making the organization such a, such a wonderful place to work at. And that always works because leaders at that level, they also worry about what people think. They also worry about what their employees think. So when, when somebody walks over there and thanks them for their leadership and their effort, it, it goes a long way. It's a human connection. Yeah. We're all just human beings. I mean, most of the people that I interview, like we all talk about that on, uh, on, on the show here is that, um, you know, we still need that human interaction. We still suffer from that idea of what will people think, uh, that selfish fear of like not getting what I want or losing something I have. That's just natural human thing. 
and it does take you, we, but we can learn to deal with that differently. It's a skill set. And what I think probably set you apart, because I've done plenty of speaking engagements where people line up and they thank the speaker and it's part of the process, but you were following his work and you probably said something more meaningful because you had an actual engaged conversation with him. Um, I, you know, I, I like that. I mean, I, I didn't share with you before, but I started off in banking also. Really? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, just for, I mean, I was a teller and for whatever reason, you know, I, I knew I didn't want to be a teller forever. Not that there's anything wrong with being a teller, just that I knew that that wasn't for me. That wasn't what I had wanted to do. And there was this thing within the bank that I happened to work for that was, you know, after so, so many months, you can post out to some other position. And most people thought, well, all right, I'll go from being a teller to the new accounts or something like that, or maybe the call center. And I didn't, I heard anything, right? I heard that you can post out to be anything you want. So I looked through the Rolodex and for whatever reason, my eyes fell on real estate development and that I, I don't know why, right? But it did. And, uh, I had a background at that time in some engineering and some finance and I thought, okay, I, I can probably, I can probably do this. I'm 22 or 23 years old. And I pick up the phone and I call that department and it just so happens that the person who would ordinarily answer the phone wasn't there. And the senior vice president who later went on to be the president of, uh, of that bank, of that company and that real estate company that spun off from that, uh, or that was a part of that, um, picked up his own phone. And I don't remember what I said to him. But whatever it was, it led to me working for him for eight years and learning everything that I know about real estate development. I love that story, and uh, and I, I love it. So yeah, we share that that same that same um, gumption where you you overcome the fear and pick up the phone and exactly say, hey, what's the worst that can happen? They can say no. Yeah, and I yeah. I don't remember what I said, and I didn't know anything about real estate. Right. But I knew that I, well, I, I can't, I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. I wanted something more. Right. So there's that willingness. And I think that, uh, I think we can kind of coach that because I think that is in all of us at some capacity, just as human beings, I'd love to hear you doing your research on education, doing your research on leadership, having the experiences that you've had with coaching people, whether it's in the defense industry or just simply public speaking. The first time I started public speaking, it was not, I mean, it wasn't fun. It was scary. I had, you know, I've learned to understand that that feeling that I associate with fear could just be excitement because fear and excitement feel the same way in the body. I talk about that in my, uh, in, in my speech, but, um, it takes practice. It takes work. I'd love to hear like what you've learned about that idea and how we can bring that out of other people that are listening to you today saying that, you know, She's had this career where she grew up a certain way. The way we start is not the way we finish. She had some great influences from some other people in her life, found mentors, right? We can talk a little bit more about that. But somewhere in there was this idea of I'm going to go ask for what I want. If they want what I have, if, if I want what they have, I need to do what they do. So I'm going to ask for what I want. Yeah, I think uh, you, you, dis you described that really well. I think the underlying element is value. So what do I bring so that I can get what I want? So bringing value to an organization through our skills and our knowledge and our expertise is the way that we can actually climb up those steps and ask for more, more responsibility. 
how would someone know their value? How do they evaluate that? Is there a process that you did or you can think of? Is it journaling? Is it looking at what you want and what you're currently doing? Where's your expertise? What, so what does this mean? It's all of the above, right? It's all of the above. It's, it's a lot. So I, I put that under the big umbrella of learning. So starting with self-learning, know thyself, Socrates said. And I mentioned that a little bit earlier. So the first thing we have to do is understand what it is that you want to do, what it is that you're good at. And there's a number of books out there that you can actually follow. Now there's podcasts and uh, there, there are a lot of uh, ways that individuals can understand what they're good at. There are specific uh, behavioral tests that one can take. For example, the DISC test or the Emergenetics or the MBTI. There are a number of, of evaluations that one can take to understand where they are today and then use the results of those evaluations or those assessments to actually figure out where they want to go. And the journey where you want to go, that's where you need your network. That's where you need your mentors. That's where you need uh, people that have gone through a similar journey before you so you can learn from them. That's where books, in my case, where my own mentors, because I didn't have access to what growing up as I didn't have access to, to individuals and mentors, but I did have access to books and learning. So I voraciously learned and, and that stayed with me. And so, but today I think it's critical to know thyself, understand yourself, know what you're good at, but also you have to also know what it is that you are not that good at. And maybe you can improve that or you can invest all of your efforts in the things you're great at and become great at them and then focus on them. And then find mentors. Go to your local association, uh, industry association, and find mentors and engage so that uh, through this engagement you can learn more and you can practice what it is that you're good at and improve what you believe you need to improve on. And it's a journey. It's a journey that never ends. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, mentorship doesn't have to look like I'm going to call you and formally ask you to be my mentor. We're going to meet on a regular basis and it's going to I'm going to write everything you say down and go memorize it. Mentors, I have mentors that I've never met, right? I believe in no like and trust. And um that can come in many different forms. There's plenty of authors that I read that I've never actually met, but I know I know of them. I like them and I trust their work. Uh, because I've been able to practice it in my own life and see it work. No one follows a leader that's never been there. So, you know, sharing our own real experiences with another person is the best way that we can mentor someone. I would never give you advice on how to be a woman. That doesn't make any sense, right? I'm not going to write a book on pregnancy. That wouldn't, where would that go? But, you know, no one person fills all our gaps. So if there's someone that you know, in my life that's really good at their finances, I can learn from them. Someone that has a career that I'd like to emulate, I can, I can follow them um, and speak with them about their experiences. Same thing with their health and their diet and everything else. Because no one person is going to make everything in our life. You know, it just doesn't work that way. But we've got to have a willingness to go ask for that help and go find that help. And what I found, you know, I, I do a lot of self-inspection, a lot of inventorying of who I am, journaling, 
you know, where was I resentful? Where was I dishonest? Where have I been selfish? Where am I afraid in my life? Um, other things, right? What are things, you know, what are those defects in character that I can work on? Um, what are those old limiting beliefs and those ideas? Where have they come from? Why were they valuable at some point in time? What did I learn from that? What, what do I need to put down now? Right. Because I, I don't have these ideas because I'm crazy. I have them because they were useful at some point in time. That's why I built a synapse. And it, it's like, that's why I have that memory. Just like, you know, with your experiences, what, you know, what are you like, what have you been able to do on yourself when you do that, that self work that helps you show up to be the person you are today? Besides the reading, is there anything else that you're physically doing that we can learn from? Oh, well, I think what you mentioned earlier about being self-reflecting, right? So Socrates also said that the, the life unexamined is not worth living. So I do a lot of that as well, a lot of reflection. How did it go? How, you know, I set goals for the day and the week and the month and the year, and then I'm very deliberate about reviewing those goals. How did it go? So at the end of the day, I do a, a mental analysis of the day. How did the day go? Was it what I was planning? Did I achieve what I was planning to do? If I did not, why? Why is a very powerful question to ask. Uh, it is a tool for root cause analysis. You know, you ask the five whys until you arrive at, uh, at an answer that you can no longer ask the question why, and then you know you've reached uh, the, the root of that uh, the root, the root cause of, of that thought or, or that action. So I'm doing a lot of that. And uh, journaling, I used to journal a lot. I don't do that anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm more reflective now. And uh, I think that it's really important to, for individuals and, and, and leaders to take care of themselves first. So there is that element of wellness that it used to be poo-pooed a few years ago, right? And now yeah, it used with to be the, called woo-woo and right. like, oh, this person or like you would seen as selfish or like, what are you doing? Right. But we put our we put our mask on first before we there help others go. on the plane. Exactly. So in order to do that and and actually I wrote an article about this, how can leaders help their teams? So the first element is taking care of, of yourself, both mentally, physically and emotionally, so that you can withstand all the, the change that's been thrust Upon us and uh, understand it and understand the fears and the risks and think about mitigants and then go out and take care of the team and allow them to grow and allow them to take care of themselves and together you can take care of the mission mm -hmm. it's risk mitigation not avoidance you know you're not going to be able to dodge every book I mean you have to just but I, I do believe that taking care of ourselves first allows us to show up in the lives of other people yes. as the person we want to be and and that when we talk about leadership, when we talk, I mean, that, I, I mean, I look, I don't consider myself to be a leader. I'm a student of other leaders. That's why I'm doing this show. And, but I have my own experiences and I've overcome some challenges and I've learned a lot of, a lot of things doing that, that overlap with a lot of the things we talk about, but it really does. It's not, you know, self-care is not selfish. Correct. Right. In fact, not doing self-care is actually more selfish because we think that we've got it all. I mean, how we don't have it all together. No one person is completely perfect. So we have to continuously improve on ourselves so that we can continuously show up to be that new version of ourselves that we need to be as things change. You talk about how fast things are changing. 
I love what you said about being a student of leadership, and I am too. I've studied leadership uh, in, in my doctorate, and uh, I study leaders continuously. So, so I think we're all students in, in some way, and uh, accepting that always, for me, always gives me this room for more growth. Yeah. Sounds like you read the Stoics a lot too. You've mentioned yes. Socrates a couple of times. That's I, right. Yeah. I like that. I'm a big, big Stoicism fan, big Ryan Holiday yes. fan. If you know he, Ryan Holiday. He has done a great job, Ryan Holiday, to, to bring the Stoics yeah. uh, into our personal yeah. uh, everyday lives. Yeah. But Ryan Holiday is doing a great job with all the work that he's doing. So it's really nice to meet another person that's also studying his work and reading a lot of the same things, not just his work, but also going back to the actual original text to see what it means uh, to me as an individual or to you, because it, our perception of what he re, what they said originally may actually be different from his. It doesn't make it right or wrong. Yes, you're right. And actually, I probably have a little bit of an, uh, uh, a personal advantage there because I read ancient Greek. So I speak Greek. So I can oh, go right. to the original, yeah. to the original um, writings and uh, review and remind myself I did uh, do some of that work in, in high school. In school. Yeah. yeah. So it's always great to be able to go back to the original source. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one question that I ask everybody that's yeah. been on the show. <clears throat> and that is of a jumping off point. Now, we talked about a lot of those today. But the way that I describe a jumping off point, and all of us have them, is a moment in time where we can no longer continue doing what we're doing but we may be uncertain or scared of what we need to do next. And a lot of people have described it doesn't have to be a dramatic experience, but a lot of people have shared with me moment in time where they were either in pain physically, emotionally, or both. And now looking back, even though that was a very difficult time in their life, they're incredibly grateful for it because yes. without it, they wouldn't have the relationships they have, they, the perception they have of life, Maybe it's monetary success or a career that they mm -hmm. wouldn't have otherwise had. But something about the life that they have now that they're truly grateful for would not be possible without that experience. Oh, there are many of those in my serving uh, career. But I'll, I'll point one out, which was a few years ago when I was working for a particular organization in learning, an association that actually was doing cuts. So they did three waves of cuts and I was caught in the third wave so I lost my job and I was devastated it was the first time that that had happened to me and uh, it's uh, really a painful experience when you are asked to go to the HR leader's mm -hmm. office and then they tell you that um, well Marina we're letting you go yeah and there's no two-week notice. You just have to go and pack your desk and walk out. Yeah. And if you have the time, you can say goodbyes to some of your colleagues. And I did that. And uh, I remember that uh, it was very painful. But uh, I also realized as I was walking out, I realized that I had that freedom of newness, you know, that that chapter had closed and now I had everything in front of me, this mm -hmm. freedom to actually pick the next chapter in the journey. And uh, when I listened to Steve Jobs' um, commencement speech, 
he talks about that when he was fired from Apple. He had that same feeling of the freedom of being a student again and starting all over again. And then he went on and started Next and Pixar, etc. Yeah. And the rest is history. So it was, uh, it was a life-changing moment because it forces you to look at everything in your life, your finances, your skill set, your network, your mental and emotional and physical health. You have to be tip-top uh, in order to navigate mm -hmm. such a change. And um, I'm very pleased to share that actually that opened the opportunity for me to actually um, apply again to DAU the third time and uh, be accepted. So yeah. here we are. Everything happens for a reason. And uh, we cannot predict the cards we'll be dealt, but we can decide how we're going to play those cards. Yeah. We, we, we can decide how we react and it's all about our actions. I love that story. I mean, that's, there's a lot of similarities between some of our experiences. I, um, I love that that was your jumping off point. That was one of mine also. I lost a job and nothing about my life would be the way that it is had that not happened. There you go. Right. If I kept floating on doing, behaving the way I was doing the things that I was doing, thinking the way that I thought working the way that I was working in that position, I'd probably still be here. Today. So we have so many commonalities. Yeah. We're both tellers. We can share stories about how much your arm hurts yeah, yeah. when you open and close that drawer. Uh, of course, now everything is digital. I, know. So, I don't even know if they still yeah, have drawers. They, I don't know. Do but people I have money anymore? My, my, yeah, my arm would hurt every, every night because of opening and closing that teller drawer. And then we love Ryan Holiday and yeah, the stories. And uh, we both lost jobs. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that at the time I thought it was embarrassing and now I can't stop telling people about it because, yeah. it, you know, it's because people go through that and, um, it wasn't easy. It was tough. It was a very emotionally, physically painful time. That's why I get to ask the questions that I do the way that I, I talk about them. And I have some other experiences in my life that have shaped, you know, everything that I talk about and everything I do, but without them, I wouldn't be able to be this person today. And so at the time, I had no perception of what was going to be next. In fact, I thought it was over. You know, there's this feeling of right. uh, finality, like this is it. You know, I, everything is gone. And it's like, and it was, but it needed to be removed. I really believe that there was something, something bigger than me that was removing from me and from my path what I would not have been able to do for myself. And there you go. You, you've built this amazing podcast and uh, you're bringing leaders together and helping others learn from uh, yours and your invitees experiences. So that's pretty amazing. Well, I'm sure this episode is going to help a lot of people. So I really appreciate you sharing with us today. And, um, you know, hopefully people reach out to you. I think that you're someone that can help a lot of people with your experiences of doing multiple different things, having several different careers, going through some challenges in their youth, but being able to learn from that and carry those experiences with you and undoubtedly they, they show up in your everyday life. This idea of re resiliency that we talked about in the beginning, um, that only comes with hardship. I don't think that you can go through everything going perfectly and call yourself a resilient person. I think you're right. Uh, hardship breeds resilience and resilience breeds strength and this ability to share the strength with others because I think that's what leadership is. Uh, the, leader, the leader understands themselves first and, uh, tries to help others grow and reach their own potential. So that, that has been my mission. 
now I'm very crystal clear about what I do. So on my LinkedIn profile, which I, I if people want to reach out to me, that's the best place to reach out to me. When uh, I was writing the profile, I noticed that a lot of people had titles. And I said, I'm not going to put a title. I'm going to put what I'm doing. So what I do is I help organizations and individuals tackle change by thinking differently, learning deliberately, connecting diversely, and uh, leading boldly. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Philip. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our talk. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders on Instagram at DC Local Leaders or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.